and welcome back to the Beyond Our World podcast. My name is John, and today I will be your host on a solo journey as we evaluate climate science, mass extinction, and humanity's place here and beyond our world. In order to clearly understand how climate change impacts all of us, I think the first thing we have to do is take a step back, back from our chairs, back from our lives, back from our cities and our entertainment. We have to venture beyond our planet, pull back in your mind toward the moon, then pull back just a little bit further than that and imagine what you would see. In the distance, you would witness a blue dot in a seemingly black sky, and in the distant horizon, a bright star, burning white and clear, distinctly different than the yellow that our atmosphere leads us to see when we look up at the sky. This tiny planet is the third one from that star, one of several rock-bodied planets, but this one happens to be particularly unique. Existing in the Goldilocks zone, our planet has all the right material to facilitate life. It's not too cold. It's not too warm. It's just right for us and every other creature that has existed, does exist, and will exist on it. A series of unique circumstances brought this planet to us. Many chaotic, cosmic events transpired to bring us the planet that we see today. And if it weren't for each of these events to take place, life as we know it, or quite possibly at all, would not exist. So how do we take that into account. As you sit here looking at the Earth from this distance, you notice that it's spinning. Not too fast, but not too slow. Just right. The 24-hour day that we've come to experience is the rotation of our home planet moving at roughly 1,600 kilometers per hour. Now step further back the point that the earth is just a small dot out on the horizon of your visual plane. You notice that while it's spinning on its own axis, it also seems to be moving on a trajectory. The earth's orbit around the sun, where it moves at roughly 107,000 kilometers per hour. Now step further back and realize that it is one of eight celestial bodies rotating this star. Step even further back, beyond our solar system. Start pulling away from the galactic arm that our solar system calls home. There our Earth is, swirling around its host star that is part of a larger 
galactic body. This galactic body, 100,000 light years across, is massive and unable to be put into words from a visual standpoint. In this galaxy, we exist within one of the arms, as it is known as a spiral-type galaxy. The arm that we ride in is also moving, and its speed is approximately 828,000 kilometers per hour. Our place in this universe, and very well within our own galaxy, is very small. As I stated, this galaxy is 100,000 light years across. The fastest man-made spacecraft to ever exist travels at a measly 265,000 kilometers per hour. This means that if we wanted to traverse from one side of our known galaxy to the next, given the current limitations, the current size and scope of this galaxy, and the known speeds that we're able to travel at, it would take us approximately 409,235,806 years to go from one end of our spiral galaxy to the next. That means that it would take 4,092,358 centuries for humans at their current speed to travel from one end of this galaxy to the next. Take that in contrast with how long humans and our ancestors as we define them have truly been here. Most early signs and research point to a measly 200 or so thousand years. Our home planet is 4.5 billion years old. So when you see just how small we really are, it really puts into perspective just how delicate our little Goldilocks planet truly is. When you abstract it to what our size really boils down to, it's enough to make you thankful for the fact that you get to be here. Our planet is not without its faults. Humans tend to think about ourselves in a very definitive and narrow mindset. But we are not the first creatures to live here. And more alarmingly, many before us have gone away. 444 million years ago, the end Ordovician mass extinction happens. It will come to be one of five, or possibly six, mass extinctions that our Earth weathers. During this time, life is ocean-bound. Consciousness and intelligent life as we know it is millions of years away from coming to exist. Yet something catastrophic happens to the planet. 
tectonic forces of a shifting and rapidly growing planet are causing disturbances with our young Earth. It's widely believed that what kills 86% of all life during this extinction 444 million years ago was a rapid ice age. Possibly an uplift that triggers the Appalachians. Sucks CO2 out of our atmosphere. The end result is a rapidly cooling planet. A planet that cools too fast for the young and barely maturing life that exists below the surface of its oceans. Eighty-six percent of all life dies during this mass extinction. The world as we know it is brought cripplingly close to no longer having any species upon it. However, life persisted as it tends to. Life moved on and continued to evolve still predominantly within those oceans. 375 million years ago, another catastrophic event takes place on Earth, known as the Late Devonian Mass Extinction. Our Earth is now developing plants. These plants grow roots, and these roots disrupt land masses, ocean beds. The roots dig looking for oxygen, and they find it, but at a severe cost. During this time, 75% of life is lost, largely presumed due to suffocation from oxygen depletion as a result of our planet's growing and shifting botany. As plants spring to life, they accidentally kill almost everything else around them. But once again, life finds a way to survive. And another mass extinction takes place some 251 million years ago, known as the End Permian Mass Extinction. The End Permian is probably the singular most profound mass extinction of the five prehistoric. Known as the Great Dying, this was by far the most intense extinction event that our planet sustained, and it came undeniably close to wiping out every bit of life on our planet, with an extinction rate estimated to be at 96 the things that led to this mass extinction, the end Permian event, the Great Dying, are believed to have stimulated from a massive CO2 explosion. And this possibly stimulates methogenic bacteria, and they respond to the shift in our climate. As a result, they begin pumping methane into our atmosphere. They begin warming the planet 
at a drastic rate, the ocean acidifies due to this chemical now being in the atmosphere and coming down in rain. The oceans, again, are still a crucial component to life, but they become a toxic stew. Life becomes fragile and almost unable to sustain in this now hostile and stagnant environment. It's probably the first incident where we've witnessed life-fueled climate change. If research is to be believed, and more data concludes it, the number one driving factor toward this mass extinction after the massive release of CO2 was bacteria releasing methane into the atmosphere at a rapid rate and unchecked. But somehow, life manages to survive again, just barely hanging on to the tethers that were left behind after this mass extinction. Not long after the great dying, another mass extinction happens. Some 51 million years later, 200 million years ago, the end Triassic mass extinction takes place and takes 80% of the Earth's known life forms with it. The cause is enigmatic for the end Triassic mass extinction. There are several hypotheses about what happened, but there is no conclusive evidence about what caused roughly 80% of Earth's life to die just 51 million years after it almost vanished entirely. Even then, we were not in the clear yet. Some 66 million years ago, another mass extinction takes place on our planet. The end Cretaceous mass extinction. This is the one most of us are most familiar with through school. Dinosaurs. The asteroid. The end of the largest creatures to ever exist on our planet. Some 76% of all species are eliminated through a culmination of an asteroid impact and already rising temperatures on the planet as a result of extreme volcanic activity. Our Earth was growing, shifting, changing. Life was already stressed at this point. Many creatures were struggling to survive. The impact of an asteroid was a faithful final push over a barrier that they didn't see coming. And the fifth mass extinction came and went, leaving with it more questions and answers, and we still find incredible amounts of evidence surrounding the unique life and formations that existed during that time. And what it serves to represent more than anything is the delicate balance that is our world. Creatures much larger than us have occupied their time here, seemingly indestructible, taken out by the most inconsequential seeming of events, 
volcanic eruptions, space debris flying toward the Earth, the ripe conditions to eliminate almost everything they needed to sustain their life. And in one fell swoop, they're gone. Today, humans are the predominant species on the planet. It's not to say that we outnumber other species, but we carry with us a great deal of power and knowledge. In our infantile and hardly evolved brains, we have stimulated a technological race that expands beyond the imagination. We have created technology that allows us to connect anywhere in the world. We have sent satellites into space that observe the deepest parts of our universe and have unlocked the secrets of the very creation of this magical and fascinating world we live in. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We have left our home planet and stood foot upon its own satellite, which is a profound and deep realization of the potential of a species. Especially when compared to the evolutionary milestones that we were not present for, and just how short our time on this planet truly has been. When you think of life disappearing 440 million years ago, and then you realize that in just under a hundred, we had a human being stand foot upon our moon and look back at his home, where every human, living or dead, had otherwise always been. It's a profound notion about our abilities, about our spirit, about our capacities to wonder and create. But we must also be weary about what a species with this amount of power and capability is truly capable of. What is our obligation to our perfect planet existing in a perfect place? What role do we play in protecting other species around us? What is our obligation to the humans that are not here yet, but will one day walk in the steps that we lay forth for them? How do we begin to think deeper and broader than ourselves? Especially when these simple brains that we've only had now for some 200,000 years are still functionally hardwired to their old behaviors. How do we magnify our impact on a world that we don't fully understand or appreciate? What does it take to make everyone understand the necessity of conservation and our place in this world? How do we convince people today that sacrifice and suffering now serves a greater purpose toward the preservation of our planet, its species, but most importantly, our species, as we continue to grow and technologically advance and move up the scale of intelligent species. Today, humans exist at the forefront of the sixth mass extinction. The Holocene extinction is presently unfolding before our eyes. This 
current and expanding event is undeniably man-made. We are playing a distinct and profound role in the dying off of other species and plant life here on our home planet. And while it might seem abstractly large to think about, or absurd on the notion that humans as such simple creatures could do damage to something so large as our Earth, we need to remember that prior mass extinctions have already proven to us that where there is life, there will always be death. And where life of one species or creature expands, it very well could damage, alter, and destroy others. In our world, there's a very delicate balance between humans and the rest of our ecosystem. It's easy to discount the importance of things like bumblebees, plant diversity, coral reefs, or even other mammals that are slowly beginning to dwindle away as nearly 500 million species are impacted by our behavior and the ever-expanding human desire to conquer its world. We are obligated to our planet because whether we want to acknowledge the fact that we are tied to its other species and the delicate balance that its climate plays today or not, the facts remain that the disruption of these ecosystems can carry with them profound and insurmountable consequences. As our climate shifts, the struggles of humanity are going to drastically and exponentially grow broader. As sustainable food sources become more difficult to manage, as drinkable water becomes harder to find, it will stimulate global conflicts and push humanity to a brink of its own existence as it competes for survival. We have already seen examples of failed climate action. Going back in time, just a few years, August 23rd, 2005. Hurricane Katrina slams into Louisiana. Two hours, but it is still mean. It's massive and it's a real monster. We're going to bring you the very latest. Also, highways turn into rivers of headlights as thousands of people flee from the storm. They're heading east, west, north, anywhere they can, but not everybody is leaving. Many are hunkering down under a massive roof. We've been telling you about that. The Superdome becomes a super dorm. Because then you not only have to add in the 130, 125 miles per hour of the storm, you have to add in the storm movement as well, which was 15 miles per hour. So there were gusts on the eastern side of the storm to 140, and even sustained winds possibly to 140 over around Slidell all the way over to Gulfport. Another thing that's happening, that big red box there, those are tornado watches in effect for today, and even a few storms. Your size of the storm again is phenomenal. We are getting reports that 81 mile an hour winds are being felt the rain and the flooding, we're starting to see people come out in it, Yeah, which gives an indication, as you were saying, that the worst of, of Katrina, at least for New Orleans, 
has passed on. Yes, but there are still things floating around in the air, still things moving at 50 or 60 miles per hour. You don't want to be out in this. Another thing, that is not fresh water. Yes, it fell out of the sky, but as soon as it mixed with the sewer, as soon as it mixed with oil and gas from the roadway, that it's not safe to be out in. It's not safe to have the kids go out and play in. I remember as a kid going out and playing in a, in a bike. and didn't like anything better than going right around in a bike in the water. Well, you know what? Now we know better. Now we know that that water is not safe to be out in because if you do get it in your mouth or in anything, then you're actually going to get sick from it. So be careful out there. Also underneath that water, broken glass, Absolutely. debris, any number of things. You might get some of the manhole covers that we saw John Zarella showing that were blowing off from below. You don't even know if that manhole cover is even on the manhole or you might just fall right down from it. So yeah, you got to be very careful all along those grates because those grates were getting pushed up hard by that rain coming out of the storm sewers. And getting back to what you're showing us with the latest radar, what would you say is ground zero right now for Katrina? Ground zero was probably Gulfport. Basically. Here, I can't uh, see the pictures that you're seeing, but what I can tell you is that most uh, of the major streets in the downtown area of Mobile are flooded. Uh, there are also dozens and dozens of streets in the city of Mobile, and then in the surrounding Mobile County area, they're simply impassable because of the trees that are down, because of the power lines that are down. Obviously, lots and lots of power outages. Now, the uh, Mobile Emergency Management Agency. The storm rages from August 23rd through the 31st. The government attempts to react to this disaster as it comes in. Evacuations are put in place, but the federal response is feeble at best, and the state response is almost non-existent, and even worse than the federal response. Levees break. A city floods. $125 billion is lost in an instant to this widespread damage against humanity. 1,833 of our fellow Americans, our fellow humans, die. Finger pointing begins not long after. The government tries to lie and claim that the storm was too powerful. But the research proves that incorrect. It turns out that the levees that protected Louisiana were left to neglect and never quite proper to begin with. But because the expense of maintaining, repairing, and expanding these levees was greater than what people felt was necessary, because we ignored the risks on the horizon simply for the fact that the threat had not presented itself yet. The damage would go on to cost $200 billion. And the loss of life can never be diminished when 1,833 people lose their lives simply because we decided that inaction was a cheaper and more viable approach than resolving a known problem. And this takes us back to that construct of the human brain. We tend to not abstractly focus on the issues that we face. Our threats need to be prevalent and absolute. We have to know that they are there in order to act. And while this might have worked in our early evolution, it is no longer a sustainable thought pattern. 
as we've surpassed over 7 billion humans on this planet. Our time here is now in the hands of our own choices. Our ability to stay on this planet resides solely in our capacity to acknowledge the potential damage and risks that we pose to our ecosystem. It is highly dependent on us acknowledging past events, even those millions of years before us, and acknowledging that life, thriving unchecked, can do real and sustained long-term damage to a planet and everything else on it. It's a feat of ignorance to assume that even if we wiped out so much of our planet's life, we would be okay. We ignore just how tied to this biodiversity we truly are, and how connected to this Earth we absolutely need to be. Without many of our plants, the very medicines that keep so many of us alive could stop existing. Without many of the animals around us, other hostile forces like insects, viruses, invasive plant species could come into existence and complicate our lives. Not to mention the lack of richness and beauty that we could have. We share this world with millions upon millions of vibrant species that have come together through this crazy and chaotic evolution of our planet to be here with us. The more that we look up at our stars, there's this profound realization that we are utterly and entirely alone. The more we look for others, the quieter the silence seems to be. So if this is it, if we have passed the great filter of the Fermi Paradox and come to be one of the few civilizations and species that have made it this far, then we need to pay respect to the other creatures that share this earth with us so that they may have the equal opportunity to continue to evolve and grow on their home planet. We are not the only consciously aware creatures even on this earth. We share a similarity in being able to define the self with chimpanzees, elephants, dolphins, other aquatic and marine life, and other mammals. Just because they don't communicate in the same way we do does not diminish their right to have a place on this earth that is theirs to live freely and unobstructed by the growth and encroachment of humankind. We have to put more emphasis on our survival and acknowledge that part of that is going to depend on us preparing to leave our world one day. Unfortunately, no matter how we look at this planet, it is a finite resource. And if humans are to continue to grow and expand, we have to acknowledge that precious metals, water, food supplies, all these things have limitations to what our Earth can provide us before it can no longer sustain in that fashion. We have to think in a sense that brings us beyond our world and pushes us higher beyond this planet. We have to set the foundations for future humans to be able to go out and venture beyond 
this narrow little place that we call home. We also owe it to the other species to preserve it while we're here and give it the opportunity to sustain and grow. We have to think about that delicate balance that exists between us and other species. The consequences of our deforestation into the rainforest, our polluting of the oceans, killing off thousands of species that are irreplaceable, valuable, and beautiful, and killing off our coral reefs that play such an integral role in the sustaining of our planet. They're not just pretty to look at. They serve a functional purpose to our world. Our ignorance toward our ability to damage is only going to lead us to do greater harm as time moves on. And we have to think beyond ourselves, because the truth is, for many of us, we will die before the worst of this happens. But that's not stopping us from having children. And it won't stop our children from having children And every milestone we fail to accomplish today only further sets back the progress of the next generation on being able to survive in a tangible and meaningful way. Everything that we do now, or more importantly, fail to do, is something that the next generation of our children and their children will be forced to deal with. Failing to acknowledge how climate change is shifting the paradigm of our world failing to acknowledge how conflict is arising from lack of food, water scarcity, how consumption and global consumerism is shifting the way we treat our world and leading to war and pollution and destruction sets us up for a state where the future generations will have to look back at us and quite possibly hate us for what we did. And it is hard to face these realities as we look at them through an abstract lens. Everybody loves the technological advancements that we've made. Who could have thought of having a phone in your pocket that was as powerful as computers were 10 years ago and containing more technology than the very tools that took our species to the moon and back? But this technology comes with a responsibility to make sure that we utilize it in ways that go beyond our personal and selfish amusement, that goes beyond feeling good about ourselves by stimulating our primal urges through apps and flashy badges and rewards. We have to harness this technological advancement to think about the expansion of human life and the preservation of non-human life on this planet. As we advance forward in this journey, We're given an insurmountable power to change and do things differently. Unlike every other mass extinction before the current one, we have an advantage that those creatures did not. We're self-aware. We're thinking. We're alive. We have self. We have community. We have culture. And culture is such an important part of sustaining the human race. Culture is everything that has defined us for the 200 or so thousand years that we have walked upon this earth and can define us for the possible millions that we venture beyond it. We have to be responsible and put our best efforts forward to make changes 
in the way we do things. Acknowledge what has happened in past mass extinctions and the things necessary to avoid a resurgent event just like that. We have to push further than our minds allow us to and fight our primal instinct to not care about the threats that do not currently pose an immediate presence to us and think about abstract problems that require dynamic solutions and the hands of everybody. We have to fight the trivial things that we allow the separation between humans. We have to get over the notions of race. We have to push beyond the notion of nations. We have to look beyond the belief in different gods. We have to remind ourselves that spinning around on a small blue dot at a thousand miles an hour, 1,600 kilometers an hour, we are here. We have to remind ourselves that spinning around on a small blue dot at 1,600 kilometers per hour is, as far as we know it, every definable piece of life in our known universe. We have to cherish that and fight for its survival. Because if we are truly alone here, then that means that we have a whole universe to ourselves. A universe of exploration, of creation, of wonder, of expansion. And while it won't be here forever, the time that we are here with it opens up a door to endless possibilities if we look past our basic instinct and our tribal urges to go back to our primitive states. We have to think about what impacts we could make for tomorrow by making the proper choices today. And it is a hard and profound notion to live with. Could I sacrifice something I truly love and have come to appreciate in my life in order to make sure that my daughter and her children and her children's children have a better world to live in? I personally think I could, but not everyone else sees it the same way. We have to deconstruct the political mindset that we've pushed about sustainability and climate change. It should not be a race between so-called tree huggers and climate deniers. It should not be a race between socialism and capitalism. It should not be an abstract debate between the religious and the atheist. Because the bottom line is that if we don't do something, the results could be profoundly damaging, not just for us here today, but for our children, their children, and every other creature that lives on this earth. And here's the thing. Let's assume by some marginal aspect that we could be wrong about climate change. It's highly unlikely, pretty much impossible. But let's just assume for a second that we're wrong. What bad could come from producing a world that conserves its resources better, preserves the life of its fellow man and its fellow species, and pushes its advancement further? Even if by some slither of a chance, some microbial measure, we were wrong about the impacts of climate change, the worst thing that could come from that is still 
an exponentially better world for every human and living creature that we share it with. Compare that to doing nothing and turning out to be right. Mass flooding, wildfires, hurricanes, much larger than we've ever seen before. Sea ice breaking off into the ocean and rising. Droughts, floods, war, famine, starvation, death, cancer. The risks that we pose by ignoring the problem and hoping that we're wrong about it far outweigh the minor sacrifices that we would have to make today in order to preserve and prevent those items. We owe it not just to ourselves, but to every other species that we share this planet with, to think and abstract ideas that preserve this fragile world. The further we look out into the universe, the more it becomes evident to us that this Goldilocks zone is hard to make. We seem to be very fortunate in the possession of this planet and to be given the gift of life that we have upon it. So we need to be respectful of it while we're here and do everything we can to preserve this world and to preserve each other and to respect one another's right to live and survive independent of any other items that we see in each other. We have to believe that if we make changes now, we could better improve the entire world around us. And we need to understand that if we fail to act, we could set off a chain reaction that leads to a world that's worse than death for our entire species, being thrown back into the dark ages, suffering through massive climate shifts, destruction of our world, the loss of our technology, and the tumbling of a society in chaos. And if you think it's not possible, all you have to do is look at events that have happened in the last hundred years. What war and major events like hurricanes do to us. Humans like to think of themselves as profoundly superior creatures. But the second you destabilize a government, or you shut off the lights and you turn the water off, the very things that we have come to identify as our strengths and our abilities to go beyond the animal kingdom rapidly deteriorate. We fall back to our primal urges, and everything that we've come to know begins to collapse around it extremely fast. And only a couple years of this behavior, a couple years of mass war, the destruction of some major cities as a result of it, the flooding of a valley and destruction of homes as a result of a hurricane, the destruction of Puerto Rico as a result of a hurricane. Swift and quick events that carry with them long and profound periods of rehabilitation. World War II did not last a very long time, but the destructive forces it left behind it have taken almost a century to clean up. Today, land development in Europe is a tricky game. Bombs are still being dug up that did not detonate at the time they were dropped. The damages of a war-torn continent still ravishes mindsets and politics. The world is exponentially better today than it has been at any given point. But it came at a profound 
cost of human life, human technology, and human advancement. We have to preserve our world and do everything we can to preserve what's here and everything beyond our world. My name is John, and I want to thank you for taking this journey with me today.